of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. And now, back to True Crime Uncensored, formerly hosted by Burl Bear and Don Waldman. But Don Waldman is dead. Yes. True Crime Unsplintered, Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. And Mark C.G. Boyer. You know... I am the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll, rock to the cradle of rhythm and blues. Following program produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. True crime uncensored. I'm Burl Bear. The man who's not there is Frank C. Gerardo Jr., last seen in San Jose. He knew the way to San Jose. Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, is here. And joining us... Via telephone, the man who knows more about Ted Bundy than Ted Bundy. Well, Ted Bundy knows nothing. <laughs> hey, Kevin Sullivan. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Better and better every day in every way. I was just reading up on on your pal Ted. I must let you know that uh, you and Ted Bundy are so popular, it's almost disgusting. I was looking at... Well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. There's, there's actually been a resurgence of Bundy. He's always been popular, but... It seems like there's a new generation coming on the scene who just can't believe somebody so diabolical ran around for so long. So, yes, that, that, it, that, that has helped things. Yeah. Considering you uh, used to be a man of the cloth or the fabric or whatever they call it nowadays. <laughs> a man well, of I the fabric. I still am to a degree, but, but you could say I'm semi-retired from that. I would imagine, I mean, you're going from two extremes. <laughs> Going yeah, from the beneficence of the all-glorious <laughs> Lord to the probably the most evil scumbag ever to fornicate with dead bodies. It does set some head spinning, that's Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of heads, he would keep them in his, uh, his souvenirs. Well, you know, he told Bill Hagmeyer towards the end of his life that he had four heads in his Washington State apartment at one time. So, yeah, he did have a thing about uh, severing heads. Some people believe that he did that to delay identification, but I don't think that's really true. No, I think everybody has to have a hobby. And <laughs> well, yes, yeah, that's true. And Actually, his was his collecting his severed was heads. Multifaceted. <laughs> what a sick dude! It was. It was, it was it, it, his hobby was sex before death with his victims, sex while he was murdering them, and of course, sex after they were dead. Well, this is what really bothers me. I mean, I've had yeah. a few that I thought, man, I remember holding my watch face up to the mouth of one to see if she was still breathing. But mm. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. The but old I, mirror thing. <laughs> yeah, the old mirror thing, but... And she was still breathing, so I was... She asked, what are you well, doing? that was good. Said, that was good. <laughs> so I'm just checking to see if you're still breathing. If they're, if they're going to expire, uh, may, may they not do it with a review, girl. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Ted... Ted would... I, mean, I was just reading this article about Ted... Mm -hmm. He would go back to, to the dead bodies and have sex with them after they were, like, dead a long time. Well, he had, probably by that time, it was masturbatory. But he did used to like to revisit that. And he, it, here's the thing about Bundy. Everything having to do with the victims was always going to have a sexual component. Really? That's not unusual for these kinds of people. And they'll go back and they'll revisit and the, the locations where he killed them and 
if they're different from the burial sites or the dump sites, then then every place where he had something to do with a victim, whether it was murdering them or discarding them, those places became sacred to him and to people like that. And so there would be sexual activity there. I don't think he would have, if they were really decaying, he would actually have intercourse with them. But he had no trouble having intercourse with uh, dead bodies. In fact, he really preferred... Yeah, I was going to say he probably preferred that. They couldn't say no or try this instead. <clears throat> That's true. I mean, I don't know. you know, you, you got to ask yourself how, how he got to this point. Yeah. I, I understand. You know, I understand he tried to blame pornography at the end. But pornography... Oh, for all that, was negative, that was BS. That was BS. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't cause people to slaughter women and cut off their heads. Or, or lead them into necrophilia. It just doesn't do that. No, well, you have you have a fella who's uh, who's told that his grandparents are his parents, his sister, his mother is his sister, and he doesn't I, find out. I'm until having trouble he hearing you. His own. What Mark C.G. Boyer was saying is that you got a guy whose grandmother was his mother and his sister who really no, was his mother his was mo his, his mother well, was his sister. Yeah, but that was there's a big myth going around about that. People think he believed that into his adulthood. He didn't. No. Uh, he, there was a mix up about that when he was a little boy living in Philadelphia with his mother and his grandparents. <laughs> but when when Louise took little Teddy out to Browns Point uh, in Washington, which is a suburb of like Tacoma. Um, you know, she met Johnny Bundy. He married Louise, adopted Ted. Ted knew that that was his mother, Louise. When the other children, the other, other four children from that union came along, they they were all siblings. So it's a myth. There's a lot of ignorance out there with that, where people think he, he, he found out when he was older. No, that's not true. Well, it was Bobby Darren who found out when he was older that his sister was his mother. Oh, well, that would be weird, yes. Yeah, he Did was already an adult, already a star at that point. Wait, he's the, is he the one that died at the age of 37 after the heart, heart, heart uh, surgery? Heart operation? Yeah. For years I wondered about that, and it came out, at least I, I read that for the first time uh, about a year ago, that the doctor had, pre had prescribed for him antibiotics to take a week before the operation, yeah. and he failed to take them, and that you know, this I guess heart infection came along, and that's what killed him. Oh, Imagine that. that expiring at 37 from something like that. Yeah. Back in the day, that old, that long ago, heart operations, you know, weren't always that successful. However, he died by the, from this heart infection, so I guess he should have taken the antibiotics. Yeah, I guess he should have. Yeah, that was a tragic, tragic story. And it just... It's horrible. Just prior to that, when uh, he started using his... Uh, oh, what's his uh, real name? We're getting off topic here, but he found out that his sister was really his mother. That's weird. And he I never heard that. He didn't know that until uh, well into adulthood. It really messed his head up. Oh, I bet it did. It's weird. Yeah. And he wasn't always, but finally he acknowledged her. He introduced her as his mother from the uh, stage one night, which meant a yeah. lot to her. Yeah, that, that's really weird. I'd love to know the story behind that, but I guess that's Yeah, you can watch day. the movie Beyond the Sea starring, uh, what's his name? No, okay. Uh, <laughs> Henry Ishkabibble. All right. <laughs> Henry Ishkabibble. No, 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 no. Uh, the guy who was starting a House of Cards, a great actor who got in trouble for... Uh, oh, uh, oh, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. It turns out all the yeah. charges were dropped against him. Oh, I saw that, yes. Yeah, so now now does everyone get to apologize to him? You know what? The culture we live in today, 
he's got some strange stuff going on. People don't want to listen to reason. They just want to make a snap judgment and then crucify somebody. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, uh, it's trial by innuendo. Yeah, that's exactly. It, 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 I hope it swings the other way because it's just, it's just awful. I don't know. I, I've been through it myself. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you are nuts. Well, I am nuts. That's true. <laughs> but I'm harmless. And I've never, I've good. never, never raped or murdered anybody yet. That's true. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> that we know of. No, I never have really. And <laughs> well, that's good. That's well, good. but I was falsely accused of doing so. Oh, you were? Yes, and of doing so by someone who wanted me fired for sexual assault, etc. Fortunately, my boss, who had known me for 25 years, said to the woman, "I've known Burl Bear for over 25 years." And your story sounds like a bunch of horse feathers. Uh, Pat O'Day. Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey, check this out. My father, uh, at the end of the war, he found himself in, on the island of Guam, and he was sleeping in a Quonset hut one day, and all of a sudden, somebody started pushing him really hard on his shoulder and waking him up. My father said he opened his eyes, and there was a uh, MP with a forty-five caliber handgun pointed at him, and he said to a woman who was crying behind him, is this the guy? Oh, boy. And, and she said, shook her, her head no. And so he, he he left. But that woman had been raped. Mm. Can you imagine if that woman would have said, yeah, he's the guy? Yeah, well, that, that's horrible. Yeah. We, had to, we had a guest on our show, and he was also on Oprah, Willis Wilson is the guy's name. Mm -hmm. And uh, the victim ID'd him out of the lineup. And he was innocent. He had to know nothing about any of this. And yeah, it's awful. They wanted to hit him with, uh, charge him with seven murders and uh, rapes and all this. He was totally not the guy. And he, yeah, he, they kept offering him uh, plea bargain deals. If you admit to this murder, well, you'll only get 35 years. And he was innocent God. of all of them. Yeah, that's horrible. Finally went to trial. Only took 45 minutes for the jury to come back with not guilty. And the judge said, you've been through so much hell, kid. I'm taking you across the street and buying you ice cream. I hope he sued. <laughs> uh, I, uh, and the thing is, is that then he bumped into the real guy. Oh, yeah? <laughs> in the bar, and he called the cops and go, the real, I've just found the real guy. They didn't care. They were just mad at him for not being the guy. Hey, we had a guy here in Louisville years ago, and I used to see this guy sometimes because we shopped in the same, uh, occasionally in the same, uh, you know, food market, Kroger. Anyway... This guy had uh, was up on charges for something, and the woman that was due to testify against him, which really would have nailed him, uh, she disappeared the day before um, the uh, trial was supposed to start, and they later pulled her car out of the o Ohio River here in Louisville, oh and, she, and, and she was in the trunk. Oh, boy. Of course, it's not a great leap to you know go beyond that, that he paid to have that done, obviously. I mean, that's my opinion. And, uh, I mean, how convenient, right? Yeah. And I saw him a couple times after that, but you know, he just got away with murder, in my view. Yeah, you wonder how long they get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, a friend of mine who was a detective in Miami well, um, for a good number of years, he said to me once, he said, we, we went to investigate the disappearance of a woman at a trailer park here in Florida, and we interviewed the guy next door, and he was a little suspicious to us so we did a background check on him and he, he, here he is right next door to the woman who disappeared and apparently he had come from another trailer park in Michigan 
where a woman up there disappeared that lived next to him. Oh, so my friend walked away with the other detectives, and here's what they said. This guy killed this woman, and we probably won't be able to prove it, and they never did. You know, I have a theory, <clears throat> theological theory. Yep. But if you get punished here for a crime, uh -huh. you're not yeah. going to be punished again. Be double, well, double jeopardy. Right. Double jeopardy. If you're punished... Well, yeah, you're, but see, but you're talking about the court of heaven. And so the court of heaven is different than the court of earth, so I'm not sure that applies there, Burl. Yeah, well, <laughs> it might, though. It might. Like, you've okay. already you already got punished on earth, we know. Uh, hey, we can, we can hold on to that, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope so. Uh, but if you never got punished here, you're still up for grabs. <laughs> I thought this was funny years ago in the paper. It, um... They show the picture of a guy. They were riding in some set, some some city, and this kid was carrying a stolen TV past the church, and, and the sign on the church said "Free Will Baptist Church." And it all comes down to that, doesn't it? Free will. You free will. You can either determine you're going to steal TVs in the right or not see, steal TVs in the right. So I, I thought the uh, picture was ironic uh, and yeah. funny. That's why I wonder about this guy Bundy's. How do you go from being born? To be yep. absolutely so completely screwed up, and he was able to compartmentalize, which we all do. As I right. said, if I didn't have a double life, I'd have no life at all. That's true. Uh, well, you know, I bring out in my book, the Bundy murders, that there was a difference between Bundy, the kid, and the youth, not feeling like he fit in or that he was different. There's a difference between a very messed up kid, but he's not dangerous, and then then if that child goes and be, later grows up and becomes a predator. But the, the sad truth, and I, I mentioned this in my book, that before Bundy made anybody else a victim, he was a victim himself of his own circumstances. This is not to say he had to go down that road of murder. He did not. He wasn't a powerless pawn. But there were strange things seen out of the child, you know, when he was young. And I, I've been to his boyhood home uh, 658 uh, North Skyline Drive in, in Tacoma. I walked in the backyard, the front yard. I could imagine him playing. And at the time, he was just a kid. And if you had seen this kid, you thought he was cute. I'm sure he said funny things, nice things. And yet, he grew up to be this other person. And um, so he wasn't a powerless pawn. But, but you have to understand that he really was a victim of his own circumstances and his own later terrible decisions but yeah how do you go from being a basically normal kid no matter how you feel to being somebody that can do the kinds of things that 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 he did the women i mean he told bill hagmeyer everybody always searches for a reason and a motive why people kill like that guy who shot up the las vegas thing and killed 58 people that nutcase yeah so what was the motive? We can't figure out the motive. The motive is he wanted to kill. Well, here's what Bundy told Hagmeyer. He said, Bill, I can't understand why people just don't understand that I just like to kill people. And really, it's as simple as that. Uh -huh. No motive beyond it. These people really love to kill. Like maybe some people like to play badminton or pool or something else or run a marathon. They really want to murder people, and they get off. They get off sexually from it. So sometimes you just got to look at them and say, you know what? We're never going to figure out all the 
the whys of why he became what he is, but we're going to have to accept what he is and what he was was like a monster. And that's really as simple as it is. Yeah, there's uh, um, Fred Turvey in uh, some of his books and research says they're not that complex. Right. Their interior depth is shallow. It's not like right. we're going to study and find all these intricate things. No, it's more like you go to a Chinese restaurant, it's really good, you're going to go back and eat there again. They tried, right. They killed one time. They tried it, uh-huh. they liked it, we'll do it again. And it's not the people involved, it's <clears throat> replacing the cast members. It's like a play. Right. And they're just, the part of the victim this time will be played by Sally Pivnik from Tacoma. You know, right. whoever it is. And, yeah, and, 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 you know, the thing of it is is that he had this very active fantasy life from when he was a kid. And somewhere along the line, that fantasy life mixed violence with sex. And for years, he stayed in this fantasy life. But there was a barrier called reality. Yeah. But at the point that he passed through that, stepped to the other side and started... He was never going to go back that other way. No, you can't. You can't go back because you've already done it. What's the worst thing a human being can do is kill another human being. Yeah. And once you've done it, there's damage. There's got to be real extreme damage to you psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever you want to take it. Right. You're never going to be the same. They can't punish you more than, than for killing 12 than they do for one. Right. I mean, there's normal people out there that have had to kill in war or kill in defense of their life. And a normal person, they'll never take joy in it. It will bother them. I mean, it changes people. But these people are not killing in defense of their life. Or they've not been ordered to stop an army like we had to go crush Germany uh, along with the uh, other allies, uh, kill as many of them as we can to to stop this thing. these predators are people that will go out and murder people for the sheer enjoyment of it. And they don't care how many people they destroy from these families or anything like that. Bundy even made the most ridiculous statement when he said, I mean, you know, I mean, what, why do people get so upset? There's so many people in the world. So what if, if one or two or three disappear? What does it matter? That's not but very. That's, the way, that's, that's the way pretty they sick. Think. Thing. That's really sick. Huh? That's really sick. Yeah, it's really horrible. I mean, those people are not like us. We're never going to be able to completely figure them out. I mean, they, if you look at like Ed Kemper, I do think that part of his upbringing from his mother helped create him. But at the same time, there were already elements in Kemper that made him different because you could put other people in that situation and they might grow up to be have great problems but they're not going to go out and slaughter women so it really depends on also what's going on within them and those are the things that we don't know you almost might say they're the secret things you're just never going to completely figure them out they've been studying these people for decades and they have never come to the place where they say, we know exactly why they do it. And they'll never get there. I don't think they, they can, will either. They can show changes in the brain. They can do their scans and their Dopplers and everything else. But they'll never be able to figure out why. That's frightening. It's one with, yep. one with hope. 
that there is an opportunity to detect, yep. deal with. Well, now with psychopaths, for example, if you get to a psychopath prior to the age of like 13 or 14, mm -hmm. you can have a positive influence on them. Same thing with sociopaths, sure. where they go, I don't want to do that. Uh, right. There is a website for sociopaths run by sociopaths. Oh, there you go. That's good. And uh, I've, Masochists are us? No, no, it's called uh, sociopaths.org or something like that. And it's really interesting uh, to go there and read the conversations between these sociopaths. Right. And one of my, well, short, yeah. one yeah. Of my short stories well, yeah. was submitted there for their evaluation. And, uh -huh. and said what I had right and what I had wrong about how they think. And there's one guy wrote and he said, I know that if I behave the way that most sociopaths do, making other people miserable, ripping them off, uh -huh. not killing uh -huh. them, because sociopaths don't kill, but, you know, ripping them off, you meet these people all the time, politicians, right. showbiz figures, <laughs> true crime hosts. Sure. <laughs> that, yeah. that, uh, but he said, but I know I have learned that if I do those things, my uh -huh. life, I only care about me. They're so selfish. You know, that's one of the symptoms. Right. They can't think about anybody but themselves. I know right. my life will be unhappy if I do these things to people because it'll bounce right. back on me. Therefore, simply right. protect myself from having a miserable life. I don't rip people off. Good. So well, was, you know, most, mo most psychopaths are not homicidal psychopaths. Most psychopaths walking around mm -hmm. are just what you're saying. They uh, can, boy, they have a no-holds-barred life. They can go and rip people off. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, they can just do anything and they don't feel any guilt. But then you have that sliver of psychopaths who want to commit th these types of murder. So they're, they're, they're the, da the really dangerous ones. But there's a lot of people out there who are, who are psychopaths and they have no feeling and they don't have any. They sleep like babies at night no matter how much they rip people off. Yeah, the uh, Scientific American did an entire article on this. Yeah. And one of their prime examples of a sociopath to the extreme who didn't, who had like no remorse of anything, was uh, yes. Mr. Wonderful uh, on Shark Tank. Uh, <laughs> and he interviewed yeah. him at length. And yet, no, in, in business, he has no problem destroying you. Uh-huh. Uh, anything, no compassion, no mercy, uh -huh. nothing. Totally self-centered. Right. But it never occurred to him to kill somebody. He may kill them metaphorically. Yeah, that's right. And he's a politicians, uh, for the most part. Uh, yes. Have these same traits. Uh, Dr. Right. Dr. Robert Hare, who wrote the book Without Conscience. Uh, yes, he, I have that. So do I. He was very helpful to me on my first uh, serious true crime book. Murder in the oh, Family. Oh, that's good. Wait, wait, wait. wait I, Mark has to write this down any time I mention one of my own books. <laughs> uh, but he did help me uh, with understanding this whole thing with the psychopaths, which was very nice. Yeah. Very helpful. Right. That's cool. Uh, uh, psychopaths have some real problems, but it's, but they're so shallow, it's difficult for them to examine them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know um, it's funny about how people have a tendency to misunderstand when, when, when they're ill-informed, when they don't, when they've never studied the subject. I love it when people think that they can get in and change people. You can't really change these people. That guy that you referred to, the psychopath that made the decisions uh, who, just for himself, Yeah, they, they can do that. But 
you can't convince any of these people if the willingness isn't there to walk straight in life there's no convincing of anything from anybody that that will turn them no. they really have to make that internal decision themselves and i know there's a woman out there that that wrote a book about this and she said she's a psychopath i haven't read it but i read some excerpts and and then i read some commentary from some people but yeah she you know she makes herself walk down that mm-hmm. you know straight and narrow but not that she's compelled to or feels any guilt or remorse because she's very upfront by saying she doesn't but she does it because that's what she needs to yeah do. it's a, pra- a practical decision on what's it going to right. be to me because i'm the one right. i care about me and sure. if it's going to hurt me to kill somebody, like they'll put me in the gas chamber or something, then uh, I better not yeah. do it. Yeah. Right. That's but good. The, the, That's other, right. the other approach is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Abraham, Dr. Abraham Lowe, uh, who, okay. uh, who uh, came up with what's called, uh, called Recovery International. It's for people with mental health issues. Uh-huh. It also works for a variety of other things where you spot or identify when your thinking is going in a certain direction. Oh, yeah. And the interesting thing was, or is, that you don't have to change your mind. You don't have to change how you think. You just have to control your muscles. It's the old thing. Right. You don't have to think about, gee, I should think nice things about Mark Boyer instead of saying rude things. (laughs) But if I can learn to bite my tongue... You don't say them. Yeah, you don't say them. You don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to change your thinking. Just bite your tongue. If you can control. But if you don't change your thinking, at some point you're going to verbalize it. Yeah, but at least you get to the like this lady whose problem was she was continually scratching her ass. I mean, she was yeah. she was scratching her butt until it was all just torn to shreds. So she goes to the doctor and and she's complaining of this. She says, "Oh, doctor, I just can't control this." And he says, "Uh." Did you scratch your ass on the bus on the way here? Oh, uh, well, no. Did you scratch your ass in the uh, waiting room with the other people around? No. Why not? Because she, what it is it? She would do it when she was home alone, but not in public. So right. Says, so you didn't, have, you didn't change your thinking. You just simply controlled your arm. If you could control your arm, you're fine, because you could control your arm to not scratch your butt, period. Yeah, it was was within her power. Within your power to control your arm muscle. You know, it's not some big psychological thing, just control your arm muscle. Hey, you want to talk about my fifth Bundy book? Yeah. I got to tell you. I thought you weren't going past four. I wasn't. This is a funny story behind it. I did four. Every time that a book of mine is published, I like to take a few days and just bask in it. I don't do any work. I just just relax. I see what the numbers are. I'll do maybe some interviews or some shows or whatever. But I really like to bask for for like the first few days. Anyway, so the day after the fourth book comes out, a guy contacted me, a friend of mine on Facebook, and he said to me, he said, have you ever thought about writing an encyclopedia <laughs> and the murders? And I said, no. I said, I just got finished with this other book, and I, it's just now being published. I said, I don't want to do that. He said, well, why don't you think about it? I said, well, I can think about it, but I'll, I'll tell you what. I said, I told him, I said, I'll put it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. So after several days, I thought, you know, uh-huh. I know so much about this case. I guess it's something I could do. I'll, I'll, I'll contact my publisher, and I'll see if they 
say, ah, oh, we don't want to do that, and then I could tell the guy no. So I ran past the publisher, and they liked the idea. <laughs> so I told the guy, I said, okay, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I never had any dream I was going to do that, so I went ahead and did it. And uh, it's got, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big book. It's got several hundred names in there. It's got dozens and dozens of locations, and uh, yeah, and it really is interesting. And, and you know what? I didn't envision how it was going to take shape. It's an encyclopedia. I've really never done one. Yeah. And as it started to take shape, I thought, well, this is pretty cool. And so people that you know read my books on Bundy or other people's books, it will be a very handy book because there's. They, they can they can go to it and look up people and and see see these folks' backgrounds. So it's an interesting thing. But again, it was funny because I had no intention of going past four. My friend had to uh, you know contact me and, and 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 suggest this, and then it grew from there. So five is it. I can't imagine ever doing another book on. Oh this yeah, body. you I said mean, you said that after the first one. You said that after the second one. You said that after the third one. Listen, 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 I just came back from Pittsburgh where I did a um, Hunting the Hunters conference on serial killers with Catherine, with Catherine, Catherine Ramsland and, oh, and some other great. folks. I love and Catherine, Catherine and I were talking about it and I said, Catherine, because she burns a lot of my books. And I said, Catherine, I'm done this time. She said, you said that the last time. <laughs> <laughs> and you have said that ever since, what, go back how many, 11 years? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I think I it was 11 years ago that. when the first book came out from McFarland, who also did my Saint <laughs> book. And yeah. uh, uh, we had you on, Don Wolden and I had you on the show, and you sent us yeah. pieces of uh, Ted Bundy's kill kit. Thank you so kindly. I've never well, been so it, it, freaked it, out by a piece of... Uh, Hefty bag in my life. Yeah. But that was at least 11 well, years ago. And yeah. every year, and I, we've met in person a couple times out here in San Diego, I think, at uh, uh, what's-her-name's yeah. house, where we terrorize the neighborhood. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think if the neighbors had known there were so many true crime writers next door, we would have been raided. <laughs> well, it could be. It could be. As but you've always said this is the last one. This is the last one. Last one. Yeah, well, Mark. Mark has a question for you. What is it, Mark? Oh, sure. So, um, what is what is your latest uh, uh, masterpiece bring to the table? What's what new? Else, what, oh, what do we find it, out that's going to be fresh or new? Or oh, you mean of the Bundy book? Yeah, the one that the, yeah, your fourth. Yeah, it, a hallmark of all of my Bundy books is that I bring new information and new voices in that are valid and and and, and you know you can prove that they were connected to Bundy one way or another and that's, that has been a hallmark of my books I didn't bring anybody new in this time but I did do a really 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 deep search not just within the record but many other other sources and brought out a lot of information that people will enjoy reading about from a lot of these people for, for example I, I go into the uh, kind of histories of like for example a lot of the newspaper writers from like the Washington state area mm -hmm. as well as uh, and that was really interesting for me to find out their background and some other things they did even beyond you know the Bundy case and I did the same thing for some writers in Salt Lake but uh, <laughs> there won't be any new testimonies per se which again has been a really nice all month that people have enjoyed with my previous books but 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 they'll they'll find a lot of stuff in there that they didn't know simply because of uh, a lot of stuff has been hidden deep within the record so 
you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting read. So. Hey, now, didn't Bundy's uh, girlfriend uh, go to the cops in Seattle about the uh, the Volkswagen and the bite marks on her ass? Well, here's the thing. No, not no. There weren't that. What what Liz Clover said is that, and this is often misstated in documentaries. The when I was on the ABC 2020 doc, they had a guy on there that said Liz Clover came and said my my boyfriend is the one doing this. That's not true. That that didn't happen. She did call, and she was she had suspicions. She wasn't sure. She made that perfectly clear. But she, she was troubled, and she needed to find out whether it was true or not. But she did go to the cops. And, by the way, I have a friend who knows her pretty well. And um, people you know, have tried to pull her out of the limelight. This would be uh, Liz and her daughter, Molly, which I guess Molly's got to be around, I don't know, maybe 50 years old now. But, but, but they never have talked about any of this. You know, she published her book. The Phantom Prince back in 1980. It is being republished with uh, some information with Molly in there, some new information, a lot of new pictures. You've never seen it, buddy. That's coming out in January of 2020. But she's coming forth now. She's going to be in this Amazon Prime video of Bundy. I believe it's a five-part series. And she's going to set the record straight about stuff because I can tell you now from knowing the record the way I do mm-hmm. that occasionally I will hear people come and say things on documentaries who were friends of Bundy and Liz and whatever and it doesn't always line up with their record because mm-hmm. uh, I have their police reports and that hap- that's happened on numerous occasions and in this case I think that uh, Liz is coming forward to set the record straight on some things and I'm glad she's doing it and uh, it's also an opportunity for her to, to uh, make some additional money which is great yeah. and but people have kind of been shaking their fingers at her, thinking she's coming out for reasons of the money. And that's not true. She's had a lot of money offered to her over the years. She never has to you know, come forward. And anybody that contacts her, she refers them to her attorney, and it usually stops there. But she's coming out now, I think, to set the record straight. So I think it's a good thing. But I don't think there's anything wrong with her coming out to get paid if your story's worth the No, heck no. It's good. And people and act they like pay us. to make money. <laughs> they pay us, don't yeah. they? Well, you know what? Who could write true crime if we didn't make any money? There would be no true crime books being written. Yeah, you know, the only I mean, re- come on. The reason I got into true crime, true confessions here, is because they, <laughs> they re-release those books every few years, like Disney movies. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, sure. you get checks in the mail. Uh, God bless me for writing murder in the family, which every time they yeah. re-release that book, I get money in the mail. No, I know. <laughs> I think it's true. I mean, my, my, all my Bundy books sell well, but my, but my book, The Bundy Murders, it's been a good, steady seller from the moment it's been published. Right. And every time I'm on a documentary, the sales just shoot way high. Yep. And then it goes back to a normal, which is good sales. But I was told by somebody in publishing years ago, he said, Kevin, your book is going to, he was speaking, uh, speaking of, of The Bundy Murders, he said, this is the kind of book that will stay around for many, many decades. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it won't be going anywhere. And uh, I said, well, that's good. And yet it, and it's proving to, to actually do just that. So that's good. Yeah, some of the other ones, you never know. They come out, they go, and you wonder, well, well the publisher is just uh, taking a loss on this one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If I, well, I think yeah, I just I mean, got I've screwed on this. That, that, that have done well, and then, and then they go down to almost nothing after yeah. a year or so. 
Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. It'd be a little hint for those of you who want to be writers in the future or now. Mm -hmm. If you're going to uh, go get like a new apartment or something, do it when you've had a very successful book come out about three months ago because your royalty uh -huh. payments are going to be real good and you'll qualify uh -huh. for the apartment. If you wait a few years uh -huh. when the sales go down, you'll look like a derelict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they say Bram, of course, Bram Stoker, who wrote his book on Dracula, uh, he wrote like 10 or 11 other books, but they told him back then, somebody said, Bram, your book on Dracula will be sold 100 years from now, but your other ones are not going to be successful like that. And boy, they were absolutely yeah. right. So sometimes you can hit on one that's going to be around a long, long time. That's a good thing. You know, uh, speaking only of myself, of course, because I'm a sociopath, <laughs> uh, I did a book that'll be around for a long, long time that I never make a cent off of because all prof uh, proceeds uh, go to charity, and that's called uh, Love at the Cost of Life, which is a uh, uh, almost like a documentary. It's an oral history of the persecution in Iran after the revolution. Oh, yeah? And it's all that first... That sounds interesting. First-person narratives, and it's just one horror story after another, but it's oh, all yeah. true, and it's the—I mean—it's the only oral history of that time where we sat down with the real people and recorded their memories of what they went through. And yeah. it was—it's done first in That's... Farsi, and then uh, translated uh, directly from Farsi to English. But of course, it doesn't translate readably, you know, when you go from. Oh, to really? So okay. I was brought in to take this literal translation from Farsi right. to English and make it conversational English. And it only oh, took me a good. couple of years to do it. It wasn't an easy right. project, uh, but very rewarding emotionally. And, of course, all proceeds go to a charity anyway. But, you know, you, I look and I say, well, what books of mine are going to be around long after I'm gone? I almost was gone a year ago, but, I mean, I'm still around now. Uh, thank God. Yeah, thank God. Thank you very kindly. Uh, and that's the, the the one that will still be around because sold for history and one thing and another. Yeah. So at least I know it's something that lasts. Now this Bundy thing is kind of like the Zodiac, except worse or better, and that's become yeah. a, a mini industry. If Bundy hadn't existed, oh, it really is. if Bundy yeah. hadn't existed, you would have been cool to have invented him, because <laughs> I would I have had to find another bestseller to write. Hey, listen to this. I heard a couple of years ago. Do you know how many copies the publisher sells a year of F. Scott uh, Fitzgerald, uh, the, uh, Great the Great Gatsby? Gatsby? No. Do you have any idea? No. 500,000 copies a year. My average. God. Can you imagine that? The guy's been dead for what? 70 years? I'm just joking. I don't know well, how long he's been dead. Well, that's but, probably because they use it in uh, uh, college classes. Schools. Yeah, right. school. Well, See, I had uh, there's some college somewhere that took my book Body Count, yeah, and uses it in the criminology classes, yeah. and all of a sudden, boom! My sales went up this incredible amount. I think that's the right. only reason why some school is demanding all their students read my book. God bless. Yeah, them. I know the same thing happened with the Bundy Birds once, and I saw this really take off in, in sales, even though they were doing okay. And then I got a check from. Um, my publisher, which was, uh, they pay twice a year anyway on, on this one, McFarlane, but I got another check because uh, McGraw-Hill uh, had taken, used portions of the Bundy murders and published it in abnormal one of their abnormal psychology textbooks. Oh, so you got a piece of the cosmic pie. 
Yes, I did. But uh, so that was great, and it really, really, really. So the students were reading them. They thought, "Oh well, I got to get this book." So the uh, especially the uh, ebook uh, sales were just like through the roof for for quite some time. More, more, far more than what would be a normal sales, you know, period. But yeah, it's funny how things are like that. But uh, I'm sure some of your true crime books, though, Burl will be published for years and years. I mean, they're just good books. They just keep recycling the super hits. They put they put a new cover on them and yep. put them out again, which is fine yep. with me because anytime sure. they put a new cover on it and put it out again, I make money. Well, yeah. yeah that's hey, the, listen to this. My, my, my publisher is doing a second edition of the Bundy Murders, and so I had to stop on the one book and spend about a month writing some additional material yeah. and doing some updating and expanding and adding a new, like... Uh, uh, preface and then a new right, right, right. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so that'll be coming out in uh, January. Oh, recently updated oh, yeah. and revised no, by the author. <laughs> That's good what for you. That is good. And you might have to find another serial killer to write about, you know, because once you start coming up with book number six, I'm going to look sideways at you. <laughs> no, I'm not. There's nowhere to go with that. Uh, and there's, there, there's really not. I mean, after 1,300 pages that I've written about this case, Really, there's just, I don't, there's nothing. I mean, that's it for me. Five volumes set, my gosh. I thought I would end after a trilogy, then the fourth, and then the fifth. Yeah. And do you know what? I wrote the fourth and the fifth practically back to back. I was exhausted by the time I got done. Oh, hell yeah, because I can remember when you were doing number four, you were saying that, I'm yeah. not doing another, I'm not doing another. I'm not, I was tired of it. <laughs> I don't even want to see Bundy's name again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay, because checks start rolling in, that'll be fine. <laughs> I'll tell you, is it is it true that when he went to Florida and he escaped, yeah. they went to the border and waited, yep. drove back and forth, back and forth? Because when he was in Colorado, I think when they got him, he said, "Where where could I go where I get the death penalty?" Yep. Because he's some there part was of him. To that. Something was something inside of him wanted to stop him. Right. There is something to that. I believe there was the that there was a slight desire within Bundy to be caught. And even Dr. Emanuel Tanay, who uh, spent time with Bundy in Florida, he was hired by the defense, he talked about Bundy's desire to restrict the people that were trying to help him while at the same time aiding his persecutors. Yeah. And he felt like Tanay likened it to somebody being involved in the midst of a play. Yeah. And where he's kind of like, a marionette, he's, he's pulling puppet strings and he's making everybody do these various things. But today said the problem is what he doesn't realize is that he could pay for this with his life. And of course, that's what happened. Which he probably wanted and part of him wanted. Yeah, well, I, I tell you, you know, it's just Bundy was stupid in one respect. He was a smart guy otherwise, but he was offered that deal that if he would confess to the Florida murders, if you just stand up in open court, you got the families of Kim Leach, the 12-year-old he murdered, and uh, Lisa Levy, Margaret Bowman, he murdered them at Chi Omega. You got the parents to agree to that. If he just stands up in open court, admit he did it, he'll have life without the possibility of parole, and he's going to be housed in Florida. He will not be allowed to go back to Washington State. And he reluctantly said he would do it. The prosecution said, listen, we're going to warn you. If Bundy comes in and makes a statement other than that or complains or does anything, the deal's off. 
So the morning he came in, he was supposed to make this declaration. He fired his attorney, Mike Minerva, and his legal team, ranted about something, sat down, quit fuming, leaned over to Minerva and wanted to make the deal. They looked down at the prosecution table. The guy shook their head, said, nope, the deal's off. And so then they went into these two trials, which he gloriously lost. So Bundy really did, uh, you know, he, he, he could have been sitting in prison unless he would have died of natural causes. This is the thing about people in prison. These people do the same things that we allow them to watch TV, best medical care, uh, three hots and a cot, while the victim's families have nothing. But that's what they offered him. And he could have had that, but instead he Hey guys, I'm meteorologist Caroline Carruthers, and I'm here to give you an update on your weekend forecast, as well as just to look at your next severe weather. He's not a complex character, but because his behavior is so complex to us, so weird, we figure there must be must be something behind it. But they all say, nope, the interior landscape is two-dimensional, flat, and just no depth in there. He may be brilliant, yeah. but within the confines of not having any rich interior dialogue life. Like if you were writing right. a fiction book about him, you could talk about how he's thinking. But you know what? Exactly. He's not. He's not thinking. <laughs> yes, he's not he's, he's not that deep. He may be no, intelligent, he's but he's not deep. deep. No. Yeah. Yeah, we go back to that Las Vegas shooter a year afterwards and say we still can't find the moldy. I wanted to scream through the television. His motive is he wanted to murder. Yeah. That's really his motive. He just wanted to destroy people. Now, why? Nobody knows why. How do you figure these people out? You but don't. We know the act they committed is because they wanted to commit the act. Yeah. Why did Why did you do that? Let's say, why did you kill everybody? They were home. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They did it because they wanted it. And, yeah. you know, this thing about people that that don't understand this, it's very simple. These killers will tell you to. If you give them, to, you know what this one killer said? And I've written about ch- child abductions before. I remember this one fellow said, and everybody that has a brain knows this. He said he was about ready to be put to death for a child abduction and murder. He said, to tell your children that if anybody ever grabs them to kick and to scream and to do everything they can, to draw attention, because a lot of times people like him will let them go. They'd rather pick up somebody that That's doesn't fight. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, I actually wrote about a case like that of a kid that was picked up in a um, apartment complex in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and this kid was fighting, and he dropped her, and he grabbed this other child who said nothing, yeah. and into the truck he went and left, and the body of that girl was found. Uh, I think about three months later, hmm. uh, across the line, it was down into Tennessee somewhere. But um, you know, I had that thing written about, but uh, a particular publisher I was involved in did not want to include it in the stories. I always suspected because whoever did that, unless he's dead, he's probably probably still out there. But yeah. I wanted to, you know, I wanted it included in the book, but they wouldn't do it. You know, Ann Rule uh, told like, me uh, told me about when she and Ted went out to this dance. And she kept yeah. telling, telling Ted to go dance with this girl, and he wouldn't. He said he got drunk, and uh-huh. that's because the girl looked exactly like his victims. It was when worlds oh. collide. She had to take a drunk Ted home and put him to bed. Well, listen, check this out. You know, my case file on the Bundy murders, it's probably over 10,000 pages. 
And for my fourth book, I actually found, I couldn't believe it. I found a report that I'd never used before. And I found it years ago. I would have put it in the Bundy Mars. But there's a guy that they interviewed who was a, like best friends with Bundy in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And they had him over to their apartment one night. He, this guy and his wife. And Bundy had had a little too much to drink. And he blurted out, and both the wife and her husband heard it. He said something about the police were looking for him huh. because of, because of the of the abduction of of several girls. Whoa, and well, that's a memory for. We're out of time. We're out of time, hey. Kevin. All right, man. Good hey, to see you next always time. fun having you on the show. We'll do right, with man, book thanks. number six. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I'm on my way on that. Okay. We'll <laughs> hey, you know what's next, Mark? Outlaw Radio and the Demons of Decadence. Decadence. Live, Live from, from the Lights of Loud. OutlawRadioLive.com. <laughs>